welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. We'll be diving into the latest episode after these quick messages. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you want to help support the podcast, be sure to join our Patreon. We have different tiers to choose from to get weekly exclusive episodes, membership in our book club, and podcast merch. You can even choose the coziest supporter tier and receive a monthly Get Cozy book box, which includes one paperback copy of your choice from a selection of books by Get Cozy podcast guest authors. To join, visit patreon.com slash getcozypodcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter to have a list of the week's coziest mystery deals delivered right to your inbox every Monday. We do get a commission for all books bought through our links, so by buying books, you're supporting the podcast. Sign up on our website, getcozypod.com, and while you're there, be sure to check out our podcast merch. Finally, if you'd like to donate to the show on a one-time or recurring basis, you can do that via Venmo at GetCozyPod. Thanks so much for your support. You listeners are the heart of the show, and I couldn't do any of it without you. Hello, my cozy friends. Welcome to another episode of Get Cozy Podcast. I am so happy to have you here with us today to discuss a cozy mystery that I absolutely loved. This show is all about sharing that love of cozies and digging deep into some of our favorite reads. And I think you'll all be thrilled to hear that our guest author today is none other than Ellen Byron. And Ellen is an award-winning playwright and non-award-winning TV writer of comedies like Wings, Just Shoot Me, and Fairly Odd Parents, which I totally watched as a kid, so I'm kind of fangirling a bit right (laughs) now. And Ellen's also written over 200 articles for national magazines, but considers her most impressive credit working as a cater waiter for Martha Stewart. So welcome to the show, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. And hi, everybody. Thank you for reading our reading cozies. Yes. No, we're so excited to have you. And I just have to say that as I was like prepping for this interview and I read your bio, like my jaw just literally dropped because you've done so (laughs) many fun, interesting projects. And in my opinion, that's, you know, what life is all about is getting to have adventures and different experiences. And, you You know, know I really, I love it. I really, I really have. And it's, it's, and it's like, sometimes you don't appreciate them when you're doing them. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, I've met some incredible people in the course of my career. And, you know, and even when I was freelance writing, I mean, uh, surely I interviewed Shirley McLean once and wow. she said, you know, and she said, you look pale. And I said, well, I'm going to be honest. I have cramps. And she gave me brandy. So <laughs> oh, I got, my goodness. so, you know, I, I did a, you know, I, my TV, I had a t- writing partner for most of my TV work, you know, and we did a, um, we did a project with Rita Wilson and it was right after uh, it was just right when my big fat Greek Gwenny came out and she was like, please go see the movie, please go see the movie. And of course we went to see the movie Mm -hmm. she was like begging us to see the movie, which became a phenomenal hit. Oh my goodness. You know, just, I mean, just in various, I don't even honestly, like, I don't even remember some of the experiences I've had, which is like really too bad. I bet. But like, how cool, like just life experiences like that are just absolutely priceless. And I just think that is so neat. I love that you've gotten to do so many different things. And Shirley MacLaine, actually, she, uh, you know, because it was when she wrote those kind of metaphysical books. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that I had a fear of flying and she gave me a mantra. She said, when you start to feel that fear coming on, say to yourself, close your eyes and say, I'm having a safe, uneventful journey. And that woman, that gift, that woman gave me a gift because I use that, I'll use it. I used it this week when I was dealing with all kinds of stuff. I use it in the car, you know, when I'm driving in Los Angeles, which is terrifying Mm -hmm. on its own. I use it everywhere. It was just, she really just changed my life just by, with that one phrase. 
That is amazing. I'm definitely going to try using that because I'm terrified of flying, even though I love traveling. So I'm definitely going to start doing well, that. I don't, I don't know if you have kids or not, but no. I actually wrote a post um, called uh, Parent Parenting Cured My Fear of Flying. Because when I started going to these conferences, you know, my daughter was in junior high and then high school and, and, you know, and we had dog and just life was overwhelming. And I get to the airport and then I get on a plane and no one could, I, I, no one could reach me. So suddenly it became like, wait a minute, this is great. Uh -huh. So, so that was like, that's when I started to go, okay, I, I can live with flying. Although I still am not a fan, Yeah, but, it's, but I'm much better than I was, believe me. That's awesome. And like, just to think the the power that words have, right? Absolutely yes, amazing. Exactly. So I am so excited to dig into our discussion about Bayou Book Thief today. So I thought we could start by having you tell our listeners just what the book is all about. Yes, um, the book is about uh, uh, Ricky James Diaz. Is uh, She was born originally, she was uh, abandoned at birth at, in Charity Hospital in New Orleans. And her mother, who were, she had a teen mom who disappeared. And she was a NICU. She was a preemie. And the, one of the nurses who took care of her ended up adopting her. And then her mom, Josefa, uh, you know, and when she was around seven or eight, I, I don't remember the exact age, probably around seven, um, her mom uh, dated a grip who was in town working on a movie. And then they ended up getting married. And so at that age, uh, Ricky moved back to moved to Los Angeles because that's where her um, adoptive father, uh, Luis, was from. And um, and so she grew up there, but she always kind of felt a pull to New Orleans because those were her roots and that's where her, you know, her parents were. She her mother, for sure. Her father, she assumes. Um, and so meanwhile, though, she's uh, she's 28 and she impulsively, you know, she's a book person and very she was managing the first edition collection of a billionaire. And then she impulsively married this actor. Um, this is all backstory, by the way, mm -hmm. um, that leads into the book. And she impulsively married this actor who was a failing actor, but he found fame on the Internet doing stupid stunts, <laughs> uh, one of which killed him. So he she was in the process that they were separated. But because they had divorced, she's now a 28-year-old widow. And um, on top of that, uh, her uh, I've always been fascinated with the Bernie Madoff because I was mm -hmm. I, I when that happened, we had a school play going on, and one of the parents came in and I looked at her. She looked terrible. I said, Rhonda, what's wrong? Rhonda, not Rhonda. And she was like, Oh my, my parents just lost all their money, all their investments. Wow. I don't know what we're gonna do. And that was the first thing I heard of it. And I've just followed everything about that case. So in Ricky's case, her uh, boss, uh, Barnes Lachlan, is arrested for a Ponzi scheme. So she's out of a job. Um, she's a widow. And she decides she's going to move to New Orleans and pursue her dream. She had this hobby, has this hobby of collecting vintage cookbooks, which is inspired by my hobby of collecting vintage cookbooks. Awesome. And much like my protagonist, I collect them, but I don't use them. Although I did use them, I do use them now because I include recipes from my collection that I've adapted uh, with each book. And so she moves to Los Angeles and um, she ends up opening, um, there's a uh, Guard District mansion um, that belonged to one of the great culinary uh, restaurateurs, one of the restaurateurs in New Orleans, a woman named uh, Genevieve Charbonnet. Uh, Miss V, they called her, and she's inspired by the real Ella Brennan of Brennan's and Commander Palace, Commander's Palace. And um, so this gar, she's passed away, and her great her uh, niece, who's in her late sixties, inherited this gorgeous um, uh, mansion in the Garden District that she's decided to turn into a culinary house museum, meaning that people can tour the house, and then they're going to offer things like um, this chef who trained with the. Uh, um, the, who lived, who worked at the restaurant and was a protege of Miss V's. He sometimes comes and teaches classes. Um, and so Ricky opens the gift shop there and it's called Miss V's uh, Vintage Cookbooks and Kitchenware. So she sells her some of her own collection. She sells ones that she finds. And she also adds to that vintage um, kitchenware. And uh, one of which ends up being a murder weapon for a very obnoxious tour guide. Mm -hmm. And so that kicks off Bayou Book Thief. Um, it's kind of what we call a premise pilot in TV where you're really setting, you know, you're not coming in to the middle of the action of a, of a, a world. You're setting the, the, you know, and it's a bit of a fish out of water. Because even though her heart is New Orleans, she's, you know, spent 20 years in Los Angeles 
And there's actually a line in um in the book that I'm really very fond of that no one's mentioned. I wish they had that uh, she's being interviewed for, uh, by a detective because of this murder and the detective goes, uh, you know, says something like, oh, right, you're from California. Mm -hmm. And Ricky says, yeah, she says um, she's gotten used to hearing that tone of derision. She says she's come to believe that the only people who like Californians are other Californians. <laughs> so, so, and I'm originally from New York. So I had, I'm totally guilty of being, you know, disdainful of, oh, Californians. And now I've been out here since 1990. Right. And my cousin once said to me, one of my cousins she goes, you're a Californian. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a New Yorker. She goes, you, you haven't lived in New York in in 30 years what are you talking and i was like mm. now i'm i know i'm a proud california california yorker a california yorker yes i'm a california yorker and you know i just have to say that your experience in writing pilots definitely shows because there's like very specific things that i look for in book one in a cozy mystery series and you definitely like checked all the boxes right like you've got this full cast of characters who I am already invested in. You have a fabulous community, this like tremendous atmosphere. And I also really enjoyed that um, you kind of like take your time a little bit getting to the murder. Like yeah. the, the plot's definitely quick, but you give us time to like meet the victim. You give us time to meet all of the suspects and kind of like get emotionally invested into the book and therefore like into the series. So your experience definitely shows. Thank you. And you know, the, it actually, I mean, I, I'm guilty of, I think, sometimes too many characters, but I really, um, Mark Baker, who's uh, writes, who reviews as Parsiers considers, he was like, there are a lot of characters, but you need, she, I can't see how she could have started the book any differently, which I really appreciated. And, and, um, and I found that my style, you know, I really didn't know anything about, I, when I started writing mysteries, I was, I loved reading them. And then I bought these books to learn how to write them. But mm -hmm. I find that my style is really, you know, I'm not that one person, that person who drops a body right away. And of course, when you're establishing, I was just going to say a pilot when you're writing, I just did a post for uh, Jungle Reds, which I called it the first book as a pilot. And I explained why, um, because of a reference to a friend's episode I saw. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, so you, I feel like, you know, it takes a little longer to get to the the first victim here because I am establishing the world, the characters and the relationships and trying to differentiate the comedic and the, you know, heartful relationship between the different characters. And so, and I have, but also my style is to kind of like introduce someone who will be a victim and to kind of like, not just have this um, body drop and then everyone finds about them in hindsight mm -hmm. I mean which is fine and it's great when people do that and I I may at some point I kind of wish I could I actually did a little um in Mardi Gras murder which actually won the Agatha award I I there was a body that was uh, after a flood they, there's a body found and no one knows who it is but I go away I went away from that for the rest of the book and that wasn't the pivotal murder i came back to it later going oh when the connections were made mm -hmm. so i still am not like you know i set up someone and and you know people are like probably thinking mm, i guess the world isn't so bad off you know the world i don't want to admit it but maybe the world's a little better off without this person <laughs> no. right but like at the same time you kind of like take the time to fully flush them out so like definitely like a flawed person but like you i got to know him so i was like i don't support your actions but i understand yeah. you and so like when it happens you kind of have that like you know that gut punch that visceral reaction yeah. to it and then as the as that book goes on i mean it's not in all my books but in this one go on you learn a little more about him and and you know maybe you feel and we're saying him maybe it was a her we don't know for sure right the person the person and, you know you see maybe other facets to them and then i you know maybe there are people you decide you you hate even more so mm -hmm. so um you know so it's 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 fun though i like developing these people and sometimes it's just to get something off my chest you know there's a i read about a some uh, some big venture capital guy who was just a horrible human being uh -huh. and made me so angry that i created him and then killed him in occasion christmas killing oh i love that how cathartic oh so cathartic that's amazing. 
And, and like, I really enjoy that big cast of characters. Like even at the beginning when you're kind of like trying to figure out who everybody is, it's like, you just, we trust you as an author and know like, we are gonna get to know these people. This is gonna be our community while we're along this journey. And so I absolutely love that. Well, what's interesting, and this is why I wrote the post, uh, the first book as a pilot, is that, you know, when you're writing the first book in a series, um, much like when you write a TV show and you cast it, you know, you have an idea in your head who the money is going to be. But sometimes that's not what happens. Like, um, you know, in my Cajun Country Mystery series, Grand Mayor became probably the maybe the most popular character, at least the second most popular character. Mm -hmm. And that was not intentional. But as I was writing the books, I would have so much fun pairing her up with her granddaughter, Maggie, that I just gravitated towards writing them together. And she became much more high profile, you know? So in this book I do introduce, and I, and I, and now I've taken, I put a cast of characters in the beginning, which helps if you have a paper copy, if you have a, a Kindle copy, it's not, I realized, Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't, isn't very helpful at all. Right. Um, but you know, and I'm playing with the relationships and to see where the, the, the most bang for my writing buck is in that first, you know, like, uh, like, the character of Cookie, which um, a reviewer said, mm -hmm. I didn't like Cookie. Well, initially, when I started writing the book, I thought, you know, she isn't very likable. So I started adding stuff, but she's really fun to write because she's unabashedly, she's not apologetic about who she is. Exactly. She owns it. And kind of like the character of Vanessa, who I actually had so much fun writing in uh, Cajun Country Mysteries. So, so I decided, so I did add some stuff to make, to redeem Cookie a little bit. And then in the second book, Wind and Died in New Orleans, which will be out now, they postponed it to February. Um, I mean, I really had fun peering her up with, uh, with, with uh, Ricky. And it wasn't intentional. It's just like, this is where kind of the funny is. This, these girls are funny together. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm excited to see more of that. Cookie, I actually liked Cookie, but I think I uh, can kind of look at her like, like when you watch Schitt's yeah. Creek, right? And you see Alexis oh, Rose and you're yes. like, I can appreciate you for what you are. And I also am excited to see your character growth as the series continues. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, we were early, we were outliers on, on, uh, on, Shit's Creek. We saw the minute I saw the ads for that, that it was uh Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. I oh. was like, JR, we're watching this show. Oh, yeah. So before anyone else discovered it, we had like basically watched the whole thing. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, it's got like such a great like atmosphere, right? Which is another yes. thing that I really like about your writing, uh, really both of your series that I've read, but um, they have that like Southern Gothic vibe to them. That's just so immersive. And it's like, when I'm reading, I feel like I'm actually in New Orleans with Ricky. Oh, you can feel like the humidity and the whole laissez-faire vibe through your words. So why did you choose New Orleans for your setting? I I went to college, I transferred in the middle of my sophomore year from a state school in New York. My parents, I, we couldn't have, they, I couldn't afford to go to a private school initially, but I had applied to Tulane in New Orleans and I got mm -hmm. in as a freshman. I desperately wanted to go, but it wasn't financially feasible. And I remember I wrote the admissions director uh, saying, this is the story, you know, and then I was just determined. So in the middle of sophomore year, when things were a little better, you know, I transferred. And I, I was a big Tennessee Williams. I've always been a big Tennessee Williams fan. Mm -hmm. um, I think he writes, you know, theatrical poetry. And so to be in New Orleans, I just fell in love with New Orleans. I mean, I can't even, I, you know, even thinking now about those first times I was there, I was like, oh, this place is just magical. And then my parents would come to visit and we would drive around and I began to really, I just fell in love with Cajun country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I would think about like, why do I have this connection to it? And I think, and I thought about it. And I think part of the reason is my mom is Italian. She was born in Italy and she came over and she was three, but all through my youth, we had family, you know, the last family members came over when I was a kid, like in the mid sixties. And so I, and when we had family functions in Queens and that a lot of that inspired the catering hall mysteries, they'd be like in the basement of a two family house in Astoria where no, I could literally go a weekend without hearing English. Um, so, you know, the Cajun culture, you know, Cajun country culture is like, it's a culture within a culture. Like they, you know, they were here. I mean, that, that culture was established before we were even a country in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they still have a language, their own language, which is, you know, they have uh, their own food and cult, you know, they've developed, they have their own music. And so I think I connected to the culture within the culture and just also just the Williams-esque 
you know, environment of it. I mean, I remember, you know, having just got arrived at, at Tulane and, you know, we had this like, the dorm I lived in was really built like a motel where you had your separate door and they were like, you stepped outside and there was like a, you know, there was a hallway that was outdoors. And, and I remember looking out this big window and a storm coming and just pounding on the mag, you know, the mag, those, those heavy green, shiny magnolia leaves. And I was of the tree and I was just like, Oh, this is magical. But I have to tell wow. you something funny. Um, it occurred to me after I finished my sixth uh, Cajun country mystery that in all my describing of the weather and the feeling and what you're talking about, I never used the word muggy. So right. I made sure in uh, Cajun Kiss of Death, which sadly was the last Cajun country to uh, to get the word muggy in. Okay. I, yeah, I, I love that. Muggy is such a, such a great word. I've only been to uh, the South once and I have never been to New Orleans, but you make it like, even when you're just uh, speaking about it, like you describe the atmosphere so well, it sounds so magical. Well, the other thing I about it, I mean, you know, people, when I first started writing the Cajun country, I think people, some people are a little offended. Like, why is this New Yorker who lives in California? Why is she writing about the South? Where she, where does she think she is? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I tried, I said, well, I do have, it's not like I'm just making it up. I do have, you know, I've traveled, I I've gone, you know, spent plenty of time there traveling through myself. I mean, it doesn't qualify me as someone who lives there, right. you know, but, but you can, people who are writing historical mysteries aren't living in the 16th century. Right. Uh, you know, so, um, but I, I think in New Orleans in particular, it is so filled with characters in a way that it's really hard to create these people in other places. Like I mentioned Ella Brennan, who inspired um, the character, you know, the late V. Charbonnet, mm -hmm. the matriarch of this of this family, even though she was uh, never had kids on her own. Well, you know, her, uh, Ella Brennan had a sister, Adelaide Brennan, who was a total character. And there's this fa famous story where she bought like a Rolls Royce from the British royal family or something. And so, you know, had it shipped here, um, but it was always malfunctioning. And so she had a chauffeur with another car drive behind her. So when the Rolls died, she would like, I guess they'd pull over and that person, whoever was driving that car would deal with the Rolls and then she'd hop in the other car to, to get to her destination. Wow. You know, and I have some very good, my, you know, one of my closest friends from college, Charlotte, I mean, her family goes back 300 years, basically. And, and, you know, and she's, she was always telling me stories that I was like, I'm going to use this. And I guess sometimes that she goes, well, imagine my surprise. I started reading Plantation Shadows and, you know, family swam across the river to, you know, court on the other side of the river. And I was like, yeah, 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 that was your story. And I used it. I, uh -huh. I thought I told, I assume I told you, maybe you forgot, <laughs> but she's wonderful. And even now I, I, you know, I was telling her the house that inspired um, what the house in this, in Bayou Book Thief is called Bon V, yeah. Culinary House Museum. And it's inspired in my, you know, I went all through the garden district to find that to the house that I wanted to use. And I found it and I sent, I, I showed, a, I sent a, 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 um, Charlotte a text of this picture and she goes, I, I know I've been in that house. I know that house. And not only did she know it, she had a whole crazy, a wonderful story about the family who lived there. How neat. So I know it's just, it's such a rich, rich environment. Oh, it sounds magical. Like you, you definitely made me want to bump it up even higher um, on my travel <laughs> list. Like, oh, it sounds is, amazing. It is, but the thing is that I'm 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 grappling with a little is that you know there are also very dark parts of it mm -hmm. in the sense that there's very high crime rate, you know, and and all kinds of you know just shootings and and carjackings and and robberies. It's just gotten worse, like it has everywhere, you know. So sometimes I feel that's why I actually can feel like I mean for my series, you know, for the detective to legitimately be, hey, this is dropped in priority. Sorry. You know, I believe that's very real uh, in right. New Orleans, you know, and there's just so, you know, as with so many um, law, law police departments, they're, you know, underpaid and over and mm -hmm. understaffed and, and overworked. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes I feel I, I paint this beautiful picture, but, you know, I also don't want to ignore the the other the darker elements. But, you know, I write cozy, so I, I can't right. really delve in too deeply. 
Absolutely. And I definitely do feel like you made it clear that there was a high crime rate and that your detective did have other priorities sometimes and couldn't always like drop everything to go along with uh, whatever scheme Ricky had going at the moment. Well, I really try to give my law enforcement, you know, when you're writing a cozy, you know, the buy everyone has to make who reads them is some amateur sleuth is doing what the professionals who spent years of doing it or training for it can't do. And Mm -hmm. so I really try in all my series to justify that and create a reason and not just create the go to the dumb cop trope, because I don't think it's fair, Um, you know, because for whatever attitudes people have towards, you know, law enforcement officials, you know, the majority are are people who are putting their lives on their line and work very hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and with the best of intentions. And, you know, I don't want to make fun of them. I'd rather, I mean, I can make fun of them if I make it a character, like in my catering hall series, the detective also writes a stupid, you know, series of uh, under a fake name that he self-published some mysteries. And now he wants to get back with his wife who he dumped because he thought it was going to be a literary star. But that's not making fun of his his attributes as a detective where right. he actually is is good at that. Yeah, I I agree a thousand percent. And I do feel like you showed that respect. And I actually loved I loved your detective in this series well, in know- particular. That I have to say, and my editor loved it. And that was, again, a happy accident. I knew I wanted it to be a woman because, you know, I didn't want, I just, I didn't want to do, I did a romantic uh, uh, law enforcement love interest in the Cajun country mysteries. And I didn't want to repeat myself. And also I bit that's a bit of a trope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted it to be a woman. And then I thought, you know, I wanted to be able to, uh, so I made her like a, someone who was originally from New York and her dad moved the family when she was a teenager because he was, a con, you know, he did construction work and Katrina was filled. So I gave her a backstory that justified who I saw in my head. And then I really had fun writing her with, with Ricky. So again, mm-hmm. it's like, wasn't, you know, I enjoyed the characters and then you put them together sometimes and it's, it just becomes this happy accident. It's like casting in your head, right? You know, the way you cast a show, it's like, you know, sometimes that's why in TV or yeah, really in films too, there are breakouts. Like think back to, to when Brad Pitt broke out, Mm -hmm. you know, that character could have just come and gone. He did not have to like make that everyone sit up in that movie and go, Whoa, who's that? Exactly. Yeah. And I like I have to say, I adore the dynamic between Ricky and Detective Nina. I do because I feel like sometimes cozies are kind of like looked down on because they're written by and large by women about women's sleuths. And they do have kind of like a fun, sometimes silly tone. But what I take away from the books is the power of women to handle what should be an impossible situation. They catch killers, they restore justice in their communities, and they pursue their passions in whatever kind of cozy career that they have. So I think cozies are just like the quintessential feminist reads. You know, I love that. I love that so much. And I, I, I really could, if you, you know, could put that on paper or something to say it's a quintessential feminist read. <laughs> yes, I, will. My, I am always, always battling back the fact that they're not treated with enough respect, I think, within our own genre. So I'm, I'm constantly on people's cases to the point of being annoying about that. You know, because I think the way you put it was, like I said, really put that on paper because it's just like, I here you go. Look, look what she said. This is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell everyone. Yeah, no, like I, I stand by that a thousand percent. And I think the fact that you're like, head detective in this novel is a woman and she's working with your sleuth who is a woman just it speaks Uh, volumes to that specifically i it's so funny because i i have to police when i create my series i find myself creating practically all women casts Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a cast yeah well it's a cast and and i constantly have to like force not force myself but remember to like okay just one guy isn't enough i have to put a couple (laughs) more guys in there Right. But oh, I I love this cast of characters. And I do. I did just love like all I feel like you don't hit people over the head with it whatsoever. But I did love like the underlying like feminist messages that were in the book. It was just fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. And uh, okay, another thing I wanted to talk about. So you mentioned that you also collect vintage cookbooks, which I just think is so cool that you and Ricky have that in common. So how did you kind of get into that? What's your vintage cookbook collection like? 
Um, I recent it, it, it's so interesting. It started completely by accident. Um, I, I remember I was with my brother and a teacher. We used to my family had a cottage in Connecticut for years on a lake, and um, we uh, were my brother liked to go antiquing because he would find uh, baseball gloves and refurbish them and then and then resell them. And cool. I just was wandered into an antique shop with him, and I saw this really charming little book and it was the Ford treasury of famous eating places and i always love you know i love like design and color and and so it had this fabulous like bright yellow cover with this great like 1940s 50s does you know color illustrations on it and so i looked in the book and it was like all these famous and i love history too so it was like written in 1950 and i i learned afterwards that ford created these to encourage people to go for drives because wow. they were selling cars and and I'd been to some of the restaurants because my parents are big historical buffs. So it was so so I bought that. And then I just I don't even remember. I started going to our library sale. And this was like years later. This my my collection has only been like the last, you know, 10 years, maybe if that. And so I started going to these library sales and I would see these, I just found myself gravitating towards these old cookbooks. And I I my favorite as I, and I have a recipe from it in the, um, and by a book thief, uh, one of the books was, uh, the photo play cookbook of the stars from 1928. Oh, how cool. Which is, if, you know, if it was a movie buff, well, that was the pivotal time when the movies were transitioning from silence to talkies. And so this, this cookbook, which is actually a brochure style, it's not even like a bound, you know, it's bound, I mean, well, you know, it's like a paperback, but, you know, not even with a, a thick binding is, you know, there are names in it like John Barrymore, but then there are like silent movie stars like Vilma Banke. And it's just, you know, so I just, and I love, there's something about, I really, you know, I have a couple that are from the 1800s, but I'm more interested in the, the 20th century, like the twenties through the sixties, mm -hmm. you know, are, are just my sweet spot. Um, I don't, and you know, you see the transition, like, like suddenly in, in the 1950s, Glamour magazine did the working woman's cookbook, mm -hmm. you know, and it was really about, um, you know, assuming the working woman came home to a husband, of course, right, it wasn't right. like the single one working woman's cookbook. <laughs> of course. So, um, you know, so, and there was one that was tongue in cheek written in, in 1968, the how to keep him after you caught him cookbook or something. You oh know, my it goodness, was, I love it was that. tongue in cheek, but still, you know, so I just love, and then it's so fascinating to me how uh, some of the ingredients don't, ex you know, no one uses or anymore or, or the, you know, if you're, and you know, that's why I say I adapt these recipes, like in um, Wine and Dine, there was, uh, I have a cookbook called Mrs. Appleyard's Kitchen from 1942. And, you know, there are other editions, it was a popular cookbook. So actually they were publishing it up through the seventies, but this is from 1972. And I found a, a brownie recipe and I thought I'll throw this into the next book. And, but I looked at it, I thought, you know what, this is not, this is not chocolatey enough for today's generation. Uh -huh. So I thought it's got, what, two squares of chocolate? No, that's, so I like, so I will take, um, you know, a recipe and modernize it. You know, and the other thing is I have these cookbooks. I have a great, the budget cookbook from the night, from sometime in the 1930s. Well, that was during depression. So of course they were doing a budget cookbook. Right. And, but how an oven worked in 19, you know, 36 is extremely different from how an oven works, how you cook in an oven and in in 2022 mm -hmm. you know so you really have to kind of be a little bit of a food arche you know a food archaeologist um and and it's like i said the, the great irony is that i really am not a big cook oh <laughs> so my gosh, i write culinary amazing. mysteries it's insane it's great i don't know well it all started because i made myself and i tell the story all the time when i was writing the cajun country mysteries i was like describing this food and i hadn't been to new orleans in a uh -huh. while when i wrote that book and I was making myself so hungry. And I thought, well, if I'm hungry, my readers are going to be hungry. So mm -hmm. better some recipes. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my goodness. Your collection sounds incredible. And like the way that you describe it, it's like you can kind of take like a snapshot of like the the social atmosphere of the world at any given yes. time based on the, the cookbooks alone. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it, here's another thing that I discovered. Like I found this once I went to a library sale and I bought this book called phosphor buffets from 1958 and so uh, you know i go to another sale like a, month, a couple of months later i buy another book i realized 
then I had three copies of the same book. And what it told me was that in 1958 in Studio City, California, everyone was buying this cookbook that Thoughts for Buffets was like, they were having a lot of buffets in Studio City, you know, and, and the, apparently these people have passed away and they're, you know, they're on, whoever inherited it donated the books to the book sale. Uh -huh. But, um, but it's so interesting, but yeah, like you said, it's like a window into, you know, and then I could, I could just imagine, you know, in 1958, California, Studio City, California, which was like, talk about the golden state, right? You know, these people dressed like the characters in Mad Men, you know, having serving up buffets. Oh my goodness. I think that is so fascinating. And you mentioned how you kind of like modify recipes, uh, yeah. the vintage cookbook recipes, and you do include those in uh, this book, which I think is so cool. So what's your, like your process? Cause you mentioned that you're not much of a cook yourself and I, I'm not either. So <laughs> I can relate, but how do you go about creating those new, like updated recipes? Well, I, uh, you know, it's, this is, I find a recipe and, and then I, look you know it's, well with the vintage cookbook it's different than the other so this vintage so i'll look at a recipe and i'll find one that's within my my very small skill set <laughs> and because i can't you know and i also don't i wanted to make it easy for the readers too because a lot of readers really like to try these recipes in mm -hmm. fact i hear from them go hey you know i think you're missing an ingredient which i was and by you <laughs> and uh, body on the bayou yes if you have a hard cover there's ingredient missing that's and there funny. was a and then i made the postcard i i found this recipe i have this um brochure you know there's some advertising companies will put together these cookbooks or these booklets, they still do to promote products. And I have one from the 30s for pet milk where they were pro promoting evaporated milk. And there was this really good, really easy recipe for uh, coconut patties. So, um, so, but it didn't specify whether you sweetened or unsweetened coconut. So that's an example of a choice I had to make. Right. Okay, so I made that choice and, um, and, you know, and then how, and then I put it, yeah, I say put in the refrigerator, put in the freezer, adjusting, you know, how to uh, like, chill it um but i made a recipe card to give out with this recipe on it and a reader got in touch with me and said you know what you're missing an how much milk should i use because it only says one half evaporated milk is it a cup is it a can i was like oh no <laughs> so i had to write in cup on on the 500 postcards i made oh my goodness <laughs> so so i will take a recipe funny. i'll find one that i that is not terribly challenging mm -hmm. and then i will make it sometimes to the point where my family is going do not i cannot look at this meal again stop <laughs> it um and so i will say okay well like i said with the brownie recipe um today's generation we are much are we like a richer deeper chocolate than they would have you know eaten i remember those brownies from my youth mm -hmm. not that long ago but you know they were a little dull so, and I'll say, well, maybe I'll throw a little rum in or something to really bring out, you know, oh, I threw in, I also threw in some um, ground coffee, you know, because co I hate coffee. I can't stand the flavor of coffee. But when you're working with chocolate, a little bit of coffee just really makes that chocolate flavor pop. Right. Oh, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. How interesting. <laughs> you do. I, I mean, I believe you. And I definitely oh. want to try to make one of your recipes. I've been doing these little like tiktok videos of me making oh. like mystery cozy mystery recipes oh that's fantastic i mean well, you know the, it, it I is i highly recommend <laughs> the coconut patty recipe is really okay. super easy and it's just you just make it on it's literally you don't even cook it, you melt butter like everything else is just you just throw it in there it's like the only okay. cooking part of it is melting the butter so, I can probably handle that. Like, yeah. I, I'll be, I'll be totally honest. Like, if you ever watch any of my little recipe TikToks, like, if you look at the hands, you can very much tell that when the cooking part is happening, it is a thousand percent my husband. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I like, they, I'm like the sous chef that like chops things up and whatever, but he's definitely the cook. That's hilarious. Now, what is your TikTok so I can look for it? It's just at Get Cozy Podcast. Uh, I, I think I've only posted like one or two and then I'm posting okay. another one tomorrow. So oh, yeah, now you'll notice the hands are, are totally my husband. He's the cook. I just that's find the hilarious. recipes and like get the ingredients and plan. I'm good at planning, but like cooking's okay. not my skill. Well, I challenge you. This is actually, there's literally said, all, now don't burn the butter. 
Okay. You have to make sure you don't burn the butter. So, but, um, but I challenge you because I think you'll find this and then you just, it, it actually will make a great gift if you're a hostess gift, you know, or a holiday, if you give, you know, cookies or candy to a neighbor's at, at Christmas or something. Yeah, that sounds fun. It, that definitely sounds like something I can handle. So I am going to try that one uh, on my own and I'm excited. The other thing I did with them, and this is, again, is, you know, I, I, again, in terms of we're talking about adapting the recipes, mm -hmm. is I realized, well, the, this is a very basic vanilla flavor, which is delicious for vanilla and coconut, but it, they're actually versatile ingredients and you can add other flavors. So I made banana coconut patties. I made almond coconut patties. I made rum. So, Ooh, yeah. um, you know, you can add whatever flavor goes with, you know, coconut and vanilla, and there are quite a few of them. Okay. I'm going to try it and I will like, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can let me know okay. <laughs> how close I am to like what the vision actually is. Okay. Okay. So uh, another thing that I love when authors include in books uh, is books within books. And in Bayou Book Thief, there is a romance series at the heart of the mystery. <laughs> the series is called Hungry for Love, which I love. And I thought it was such a fun idea. And I was wondering if you could tell us what inspired you to include like a bodice ripper type series in your cozy novel series. Well, when I was breaking breaking the story and that's what I, you know, breaking it for, cause I outlined. So as time of the story, I, I needed something, you know, you need to come the steps of what, why, you know, means motive opportunity. And also what was the drive? Like what created the problem that led to the next. And so um, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, I decided it could revolve around uh, a, a series. And then I thought, you know, a romance series, but you know what, I needed a theme to the romance series. Mm -hmm. And so someone is writing, you know, a number of these books. And then I thought, well, you know, there are, co you know, culinary cozies, why not create a culinary romance right. series? So it was actually just, and then it was, of course, then I had some, you know, then of course I'm coming up with titles and I'm coming up with dishes you know that 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 it has you know like hubba hubba ham or whatever i think <laughs> silly ridiculous names for these meals and and these and and all the the titles like concopia of love and someone's trying to figure out wait i'm trying like and the recipes are all vegetables and they're like oh corn i get it <laughs> so you know um so like romance on the range and it's like you know, barbecue. I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's like the theme to that book was like, you know, like hot and heavy, you know, grill, you know, gorgeous, whatever it was grilled. I don't know. I have to look at the book and see, but you know, that's the, the fact I wrote comedy for so long, you know, I really get, when I go to something like that, I have a lot of fun. Right. That's so fun. And uh, I like, I personally think like having the recipes in cozies just adds like another little layer of fun that readers can engage with to get a little bit more out of the reading experience. So I was reading that and yeah. I was like, yes, why don't other genres do this? This is brilliant. Yeah. I, well, you know, I thought, gosh, I wonder, I, I looked and I tried to find a series because I didn't want to be ripping anything off. And I, I had did not find a series like that. So mm -hmm. I, some romance, writer may happen upon my book and go, wait a minute. I, I think someone needs to do this for real. <laughs> right. I know. I, I support that. I, I would love to have recipes in all of my books and I can't even cook. So, yeah, that's <laughs> so, hilarious. Yes. More recipes. I loved that. And I also really enjoyed that we got kind of like a hint of some cozy pet companions to come in the future novels in this series. Yes. And I was hoping you could tell us more about two in particular who I kind of fell in love with, and that is Mambo and Jambalaya. Oh, you mean Gumbo and Jambalaya? Oh, Gumbo yes. and Jambalaya. Yes. I was listening to the audiobook on two times, so that <laughs> sometimes oh, it makes funny. it hard to understand all the words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gumbo and Jambalaya, for some reason, I envisioned peacocks being at this home and and maybe and I, you know what i realized it was so bizarre because i completely forgotten this and then i ran across a video i did of one of the places we stayed our daughter I just graduated from what she went to college in new orleans she went to loyola oh cool and so we would go visit her over the last few years and um we ran i remember it we were staying up in the Carrollton area and i walked out and there was a peacock walking down the middle of the street and so i decided that they there would be um that this it was perfect for having peacocks and the peacocks had to have a lot of attitude and because peacocks are not they're nasty little birds they're, yeah. they're not nice they it's like they know 
you know, they're like the nasty models of the animal world. And, um, and, and then I thought, oh, I can use this for fun because the peacocks can be kind of supposed arbiters of who's, who they like and who they don't like. Although in the, um, you know, in the second and wind and died, wind and died in New Orleans, uh, they may mislead people. If you assume that the person they like is a good person, you may be wrong. Okay. So, um, so, and I just, just had fun. I just could see them, you know, strutting their stuff and, you know, you know, striking a, you know, strike a pose. And I just, they did just develop real personalities for me, you know, but then also like, I'm a, I'm a dog person. I've never mm-hmm. had a cat, not for, you know, I've, I, my TV writing partner and cats. So I, I loved her cats. They were great cats. And so, um, but I'm really a dog person and I wanted to, you know, I always try to like, pay homage to the dogs we've had in my books. And, um, and so I, I created at the end, I, we, we meet two dogs who will figure in the rest of the series as, right. as pets. Um, I don't know if they'll be ever meet the peacocks though. Cause I think, think the peacocks would scare the hell out of them. Actually, maybe they do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what? I think I'm trying to remember. Oh, no, no, no. Cause in wind and died. Um, God, you can't even remember what you write. Uh, there's actually, there's a threat of a hurricane. And so at some okay. point they, they take the peacocks to, uh, away to a safer area. So the dogs that you have in your book are based on like real dogs that you've had in your life. Well, actually one is not. Okay. Um, there is, uh, one is, uh, they're Thor and princess. And the, of course I had to do the comedy thing where the German shepherd is princess and the chihuahua mutt is thor um (laughs) and but that yeah thor is based on uh i mean princess no no thor i see i can't even keep it straight (laughs) thor the chihuahua is is based on the little rescue uh chihuahua mix um, who's walking away from me right now after not getting attention (laughs) throwing me a sad look i'm sorry thor no it's okay no his name is pogo pogo my baby pogo okay he's gonna be 16 in august oh wow 16 that's amazing yeah he's a rescue but i the original family got in touch and i found out he was born in august of 2006 wow that's so neat i love that and like I, I too am a dog person. Like uh, I have always had cats. I love cats, but there is just something different about dogs. I don't know if it's just like, they're a little bit needier, but they also like, they, they need you, you, but they also like love you so much. Like their purpose in existing is like for you where cats are like, you can serve yeah. me like yes. your purpose is me <laughs> yeah no they're, I mean? they're the definition of unconditional love and, and <laughs> exactly. i call him my support animal because i literally if i'm upset or depressed or you know struggling at all and i literally will put my hand on him and pet him and i literally it's like calming it's like meditation mm-hmm. yeah I know there's nothing, there's nothing more comforting than snuggling with a puppy. I absolutely, absolutely love that. And I'm really excited to see more of the dogs in the upcoming books in the series. Well, there it's, if there's a pivotal moment with, uh, with little, little Thor in, in the next book. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say anything, but it's very, very exciting. What happens in the moment of excitement, like, I mean, exciting and a scary, like, Oh no. So, but (laughs) I won't say more. I know. And that is like the moment that, you know, like this is our cozy companion and you just instantly fall in love. Yes. Yeah. So I also thought that it was really interesting that author pseudonyms ended up being one of the clues that Ricky follows up on in this novel, since you yourself do write under different pseudonyms. So can you tell our listeners about your different pen names and the books you write under each? Yes, well, I only have one pen name, although Ellen Byron was uh, a was a manufactured name back back from when I was started as briefly was an actress, and I took Byron because it was named that my my birth name was Sideman, and Dan Byron was my dad's middle name, so I took okay. his middle name. But that's I've been using that for you know a billion years, so that's basically it's on everything. That's my name now. Uh-huh. But um, but when I signed the deal to write the Kittering Hall Mysteries with um. Kensington, uh, they asked me to take a, a pen name and I'm, I guess, to differentiate the two, because one is very oh. New York set in Queens, you know, and it's still very cozy. But and and what I did is I took my uh, my late nonna's maiden name. She was Maria DeRico. Uh-huh. And so um, because that that series is 
is my life. I mean, it's the character lives. I, she literally lives where Nonna lives. She works, you know, cousins ran catering halls in Queens and, and she works the one where um, Mia and works is the one where Jar and I had our uh, New York wedding reception. Um, you know, when, when Mia gets off the subway on Dittmar's and Steinway, she's, you know, she's walking the route I walked when I would go visit Nonna when I lived wow. in Manhattan. So it's, it's very personal to me. I have uh, four parties and a funeral is coming out in um, April of 2023. And then there'll be one more book in the series where I'll wrap everything up. That's amazing. I, it's always so exciting to find out that your favorite authors have books under different pen names. And so I'm really excited to pick up the Maria DeRico books. Uh, my family also is Italian. My dad's family. Oh. Yeah, my dad's family immigrated here from San Zeno, which is this like little tiny town um, in northern Italy. We got to go back and visit them like a, uh. a few years ago. And it's just amazing. So this is definitely like a series that like uh, speaks well, to me that I can't wait to read. Well, actually, my yeah, like I said, my mom was born. She came over when she was three, uh -huh. and so um, from a little village called Orsonia, and um, everyone's gone from there now. And it's due east of Rome. It's actually in central Italy. It's in okay. the mountains. Um, but uh, you have it's, I I met an Italian, a very handsome young Italian man. When I was a handsome, pretty young <laughs> young girl on the train once, and I um, you know, I mentioned that it was you know, it was it's not really southern Italy. And he said to me, in Italy, the Italian Italians, the Northern Italians think everything south of the, you know, the Po River is Southern Italy. And if mm -hmm. you look at a map of Italy, that basically leaves you with Milan, you know, that right. they're so snob. The Northern Italians are so snobby that they, oh, like, yeah. they have, you know, disdain for anyone who's like south of that river. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> And I, I say that as somebody whose family is Northern Italian, oh. and, and they let us know when, <laughs> when oh, really? we were there. Yeah, what, yep. what was the name of the village? It's I'm called curious. San Zeno. So it is like very far Northern Italy. It's um, like east of Lake Como uh, in the oh. Italian Alps. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it is like such a small town that, so we went to visit the cemetery and it was so fascinating to look at the headstones, both because there they put the person's picture on oh, the headstone yes. and I don't know how they do it because it never fades like we were looking wow, at like yeah. my great great grandfather's headstone right oh, and you could still just see his picture like perfectly like it had just been taken yesterday wow. but there were like four names on the headstones and one of them was like my my dad's family name and it was just so interesting to like after spell, all these years I I want to look up the, how do you spell yeah. the rest? It's San, S-A-N, and what's the rest? Yeah, so it's San Zeno. It's S-A-N-Z-E-N-O. Oh, so it is. That's it sound as exact as it sounds. That's mm -hmm. huge. Yeah, it's unusual to see a Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Okay, so I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, and I think it's because it's so close to uh, Austria. Like, their culture yes. there is very much, like, Italian slash Austrian. Yeah, we actually hunt Jar and I honey we honeymooned and we went to uh, Venice first and then we took the mm -hmm. train from Venice to Vienna. So uh so yeah, we went through that part of the world which is just gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, I can't wait to go back one day. Yay. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of uh, traveling, so I do have another New Orleans question for you. Yes. So like it's obviously a very large, thriving city, but you still managed to create a very cozy community within the Bonvie Museum. So do you want to give us a little introduction to some of the characters that we're going that our listeners are going to get to meet at Bonvie? Yes, uh, they'll meet Ricky, who's the um, proprietor of, of Runs This Gift Shop. Uh, they'll meet uh, Cookie Yonover, who is, uh, we call her a recovering children's librarian. She'd been a children's library, library and she burned out, and now she runs kind of the educational um, uh, component of this uh, this culinary museum they're trying to get going. Um, you'll meet Eugenia, um, and I'm blank, Eugenia fully uh, uh, Eugenia Charbonnet Felice. She was the niece. She's in her late sixties and she's very, she's one of those, she's um, uh, very elegant. She's actually inspired by my friend's sister, who is this lovely, beautiful, elegant you know, woman. Eugenia wow. is a little more, not, I wouldn't say hot, but she's a little more reserved. Um, you know, she doesn't exude warmth right away. Um, Oh, Daniel Mio, who's her uh, nephew, and he's in his late thirties, and he's he's like obnoxious. He can go either way. Um, and then her uh, initially um, 
Ricky's best friend is is Zella, and Zella is uh, she works at the family deli, Pelly Deli, but she's also an artist, and she constantly uses her own as art. She'll paint like butterflies, uh, use her with her eyes as the center, and and she runs the little cafe there using sandwiches from her family, and then also um, you'll meet. Uh, Okay, Virgil and Ricky. Oh, Lee, Lila Brandt, who's um, the executive director. She, you know, uh, Eugenia is the board. She's the president of the board, but she's volunteer. But Lila basically runs the place. And Lila mm-hmm. has a teenage daughter who's working her last nerve. So Lila's constantly in, in some state of distress over what her kid is trying to pull on her. Um, but she's, you know, Ricky really connects to her. And she she's the one who, you know, gets Ricky in there and gets her going. You know, and then she's constantly being distracted by the the by what her kid is up to lately. <laughs> um, and you'll also meet Mordant, Mordant. Um, and he is, uh, he's a very unusual man. He leads, um, haunted history and, uh, tours and he's madly in love with Zella. So he always somehow, and he's this tall kind of sepulchral looking guy. No one really can tell how old he is. Um, and he's, you know, he's always leading tours, tours towards the belly, you know, to the belly deli. So he can see Zella, even though it's way off the beaten track for his tourists, they're like, what are we? Where are we? How is this on the tour? <laughs> um, and then you'll meet uh, Virgil. And I've re- I, I literally have forgotten Virgil's last name. But uh, Virgil is this extremely handsome uh, chef. You know, and he's kind of that bad boy. He's a, uh, um, and it turns out he lives across. The, well, I don't want to give anything away. Eh, he lives nearby. <laughs> um, um, but uh, he was a chef for um, uh, the family restaurant Charbonnet's, which is in the French Quarter. And then he went on his own and he um, he then he's just been like he's been on TV shows now. He's like one of those celebrity judges. And, you know, if you're familiar with the actor Jesse Williams, mm-hmm. you know, who's like one of the handsomest men on the planet, um, he's in my head who I see as Virgil. Okay. So, and uh, and Virgil's in his early 40s. So he's a little old, you know, it's like I. I don't, I don't always want to do the same, you know, makeup. And so Virgil has like a, you know, he has a history. He's, he's had a drug problem. He had a drinking problem. You know, he has been, well, you know, you learn if the series goes on, you'll learn he's, you know, he might have a kid Mm -hmm. um, from one of his past relationships or past marriages. Um, But he also, his mother who's suffering from early onset dementia um, which is inspired by a a sadly late friend of mine. um, She has founded a, a, the, New Orleans, New Paulins rescue. And, uh, and so he uh, has taken it over to as a side, you know, to make sure it still stays functional. And, and, you know, so every so often, he'll have a pet. And that's, you know, that's he and Ricky uh, bond on that. So I think, you know, there may be some other people here. It's a cast of thousands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's such a dynamic cast of characters. Oh, like you. I'm already so excited to to get back to these characters and get to see how oh. all of their stories develop. Like I love that in Cozies, we don't just get like a main character in their, their story, right? We get like a whole cast of characters and all of their stories. And it's so much fun. Well, I find I actually write very, you know, I, I kind of write these books the way I wrote, you know, sitcoms where you have like an A story, a B story and a runner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I will go, it won't just be Ricky, like, you know, she'll, she has other things to do besides try to solve the crime. So I give people a, a breather, you know, and go to a B story or go to a runner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. How much your TV writing like has influenced yeah. your your book writing and in such wonderful ways because I've been to like many writing conf- like book writing conferences right and they mm-hmm. don't talk about those kinds of things but really they enrich the story so much like we get like a story b story but that's about it I know and I and I always talk in tv terms too it's like what they'd say plot and subplot like I never mm-hmm. I always I'm it, yeah because I'm talking plot subplot and then but I but in tv it's a story b story and runner Okay. So, or C story. So, you know, cause you have to make sure, especially when you're writing a, a big cast like wings, you know, you have to make sure everyone gets serviced. Every actor who's a regular gets serviced in a funny and has something funny to do. Right. Well, cause so. don't they all have like contracts where they have to have like a specific amount of like lines no. or something? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, um, you, they're not, uh, they're, the only time specific amount of lines applies is if you're, it, it'll separate someone from being a day player um, or an extra 
you know, or uh, so because or an under what they call an under five, like um, you you get if you are have uh, it, it, there's like you're an extra, an under five, or a day player, and day uh -huh. players you know get more lines and get a you know you're basically a, a guest performer. Um, and under five means you can't have more than five lines because the minute you have more than if you have five lines or more, you become a day player. Interesting. That's a lot to keep track of while you're also just like trying to write like a, an engrossing plot for a story. Yes. Well, because it has to do with the budget for a show. too. Uh -huh. and you have to be very careful that you don't, you know, suddenly someone who wasn't factored into the budget for an episode is suddenly, you know, spouting off a lot of lines and they have to be you know, upgraded in terms of their pay scale. Wow. So interesting. And we've talked about how you are just somebody that does multiple different kinds of projects. And you're definitely a cozy author who always does seem to have multiple series, books and things going on. So can you tell us anything about what you're working on right now? Well, I'm working on the fifth uh, Catering Hall mystery, which I'm having a lot of fun with because some loose ends will be tied up. Um, and people uh, who know that series will will be happy to know that that Mia's husband, who uh, disappeared and is presumed dead, is not dead. Ooh, interesting. Um, and I also have, uh, I, I can't talk about it, but I have two proposals going. I don't know if I'm going to pitch them both because I I'm waiting I probably won't know till the end of August or September whether I'm uh they want me to do more of these vintage cookbook mysteries so I don't okay. want over I'll definitely one of those will definitely be happening and I can't talk about it yet mm -hmm. um you know because the, the publisher wants it to happen and and also I don't know he hasn't seen what my proposal is yet so uh the editor so he may have different he and I may not be on the same page so there's no point in talking about it till it's a reality um, but so right now, the one true, the one thing I have is the, the fifth book and then we'll see what happens. So I might have two series. I might have one series. I might have three series. Wow. <laughs> publishing is just such a wild, uh, business, yeah. the way all the contracts and everything <laughs> works and from like still... a reader's perspective. We're like, just give us more. All right. Well, we do love some cozy book recommendations here on Get Cozy Podcast. So can you finish up the episode for us today by leaving leaving our listeners with a recent cozy read that you would recommend mm, oh uh i i have to uh, give a shout out i i blog at um uh, chicks on the case, uh, com, and i have to give mm -hmm. a shout out to two of my fellow blog mates which would be cynthia coon and how to stage a murder and uh, jennifer j chow whose book uh, death by bubble tea is coming out yeah and i'm also in a small uh, group with um and i'm just and i know you just asked for one but these are all such great writers um i have a little group that you know we meet online once a week and that's um lisa q matthews uh gg pandian and mm -hmm. diane valere Valere and and they're all writing great books so um so honestly it's like it's a it's in riches I mean I would check out either check out chicks in the case or like you, the other group is just the four of us you can't really check it out but Gigi and and Diane and Lisa all write great books too so That's and Leslie awesome. Leslie Karst is one of my blog mates and and you know Vicky Fee and Kathy Valenti and I'm and my uh, Becky Clark you know, and then I also am with uh, Cozy Mystery Crew, which is a Facebook group of 12, a dozen fabulous cozy authors um, that I can't name all of them now. But just if you go to Facebook and look and join CozyMysteryCrew.com, uh, not CozyMysteryCrew.com, Cozy Mystery Crew, the Facebook group, um, you will be uh, so happy with the choice with these wonderful authors. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. And I love the Chicks on the Case blog. Uh, it's made my TBR much longer. <laughs> I don't always know if that's a good thing or not, but oh my goodness, I've gotten some fabulous recommendations. It's, it's so hard to name just one. I mean, it's just, you know, name. I mean, and, and on Cozy Mystery Crew, there are authors like Libby Klein and, and Vicki Delaney and, and Shari uh -huh. Randall. I just could go on and on. I, I don't want to leave anyone out. So go to Cozy Mystery Crew on Facebook and see the dozen authors that are if you love cozy mysteries, you'll be happy. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is definitely the the type of people that are going to be listening to this podcast. So I'm going to hop over there for sure after we great. wrap this podcast up. That sounds great. I definitely just, you know, need more cozies in my social media feed yes. right now for sure. 
uh, and in our lives, just, mm-hmm. you know, we just need that to escape. Yeah, we need that escape. We need that guarantee that, you know, justice, justice is, is always going to be served. Yep, yes. absolutely. Love that. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Well, it has just been an absolute delight to have you on the show, Ellen. I so appreciate your time and your willingness to chat with me. I've just had so much fun. Uh, me too. And thank you so much. You have wonderful questions and, and I really appreciate it. And I, you know, I hope your readers enjoy this and I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, good. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely like, I would love to have you on the show again when some of your other books come out. So oh, we can absolutely. chat some more. Great. Well, thank you so much again. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We will have another episode of Get Cozy Podcast for you very soon. So stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.